Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning. If uh, we haven't met yet before, can I add my welcome to the one you've already received, whether you're here or whether you're joining us online. Um, My name's Natalie. I'm the Associate Vicar, and I'm going to turn my phone off because I've just realised I forgot to do it earlier. That'd be dreadful, wouldn't it? Halfway through the sermon, your phone rings. There's um, a common phrase which goes something like this. Three things one must never discuss in polite company are politics, religion, and money. So uh, this week, I've been praying that only the impolite company have come to church this morning, uh, because in order to preach truly to this scripture, I'm going to have to speak about money and about our faith in Jesus. So please do keep your Bibles open. You can check that I'm holding tight to God's word, um, and let's begin with a prayer. Lord Jesus, help us to leave the church this morning focused on the wonder of your generosity and love. May we never lose track of the desire to see the floodgates of heaven open and God's blessing pour down over the many places where we live, serve, play and work week in, week out. May we come to church next week awestruck at how we have seen your blessings flow. Amen. So as we unpack the reading today, I wonder what tone of voice you think God is using as he speaks to his people. What does he sound like? What tone of voice is there? When I'm trying to read between the lines of a tricky conversation, one of the clues I listen for is tone of voice. I'd not be surprised if if God's tone of voice was on the firm end as these words were shared. And it shouldn't surprise us. So far in unpacking this book, because we've been on a journey looking through one particular book, these are the things we've heard. God opened reminding the people of his enduring love for them. And that's something that endures for you and I today. He's had to call the priests, the clergy, to order for enabling or allowing inadequate sacrifices. God has challenged his faithless people in their worship of him. And last week we heard how the people were criticizing God for an absence of justice. In one of the commentaries that I looked at as I was preparing, suggests that this week's dialogue feels little like a fractured or a broken relationship. One where the people have not just not quite completely abandoned God, but it's not a relationship of trust and love. And this week, God is calling out their lack of generosity in giving. Now, I'm not the biggest of Hebrew geeks, So forgive me if my pronunciation isn't 100%. But God in this passage uses a different word when he names the people he's speaking with. In verse 9, 
where he speaks of the word nation, the Hebrew word is gui. I think that's how it's pronounced. And it means foreign nation. Now, usually when God speaks with his people, as in the Israelites, he uses the Hebrew word ben, meaning my people or a people. This use of a naming word might indicate a remoteness of connection, that these people aren't connecting with God in the same way as they have in other times. Now, I recognize from that a tone, a type of tone that I've used as a parent. Mike and I used to call out our son for poor behavior. And when we did it, it wouldn't be Tom, Tom. It'd be Thomas, Jeffrey Worsfold. Or literally, if Tom was here now, he'd look up and go, oh, mum's on a roll. And I wonder if that's a little bit what's going on with this different use of name. God is saying that he's not happy. In using the word gooey, he's saying your behavior is like all the other nations around you. There's nothing distinctive about you, so why should I name you differently to them? And this is a problem. This is a problem because God wants those who chose and those who choose to call him Lord, and that includes you and I here today, He wants us to be different and distinctive in the world. Take a read later of this, but I'm going to call out a couple of verses from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We are meant to be God's holy and special people, living in the light of our wonderful God. We should look and behave differently to those who've yet to find faith. In effect, our short passage is saying, rob the temple, rob the poor and needy, and you are in effect robbing God. It's verse 9 is where I see that challenge. And earlier in the sermon series, we've reflected that the priests were either allowing or encouraging second-rate sacrifices. Now we see that this shortchanging or robbing of God has spread to the wider community. Now, I remember once my husband Mike and I took Tom when he was really quite small to a shop to look at some tiles for our bathroom. Literally, we were picking tiles. Now, at one point out of our sight, Tom ducked behind another row and picked a handful of those really small tesserae tiles. You know the little ones that you use to make a middle boundary, yeah. He picked some of those and slipped them into his pocket. Now this went unnoticed by Mike and I until I washed his jumper later that week and I found them in the pocket. Uh, So the next day, in true mummy style, I sat down with Tom and helped him write a sorry note with which we posted back the tiles, because I thought it might be a little bit triggering to literally take him into the shop and expect him at yay high to hand them back and say sorry. I thought, you know, that was just stretching me a little bit too far. These days, thankfully, he has more reason to write thank you letters, or actually in reality, thank you texts, um, after Christmas and birthdays. Robbery is when someone takes something that they don't own. 
So why is God people, God calling out his people for robbery when it comes to their giving? Now to get to the bottom of that, this, we need to examine the word tithe. For those of you who are newer to church life, you may not even know what that means. I often find in church life, we use great church jargon, and yes, I am guilty of doing it all the time. Uh, We might say stewardship or tithing, expecting people miraculously to know what we're talking about. So I'm going to explain where this word comes from, because it will help explain why God is accusing these people of robbery. Tithing was a part of God's covenant relationship, set by God through Moses, and these verses that I've put on the slide is where it's recorded in Deuteronomy. The people in covenant relationship with God were to bring 10% of the first and the best of what they were blessed with by God. Tenth is what the Hebrew word for tithe means. Now, don't miss part of that last sentence. They were to give back to God out of what he'd blessed them with. They give, we give out of what God blesses us with. So God is saying, in effect, what they possess, and this applies to us today, what we possess is not ours, it's God's. We hold, we possess, maybe a better term for it might be we have temporary care of things on behalf of God. Which is why sometimes we use the word stewardship, because often stewards look after what they don't own. God is saying to these people, I have given you care for, and our covenant agreement is, that you will return to me a tenth of what I've already blessed you with. In that day, they would have bought livestock, harvest, and for the wealthy few, maybe some form of income. But notice in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, God speaks of tithes and offerings. Because in some situations, God's people gave additional gifts out of generosity towards a particular need. And at the end of these verses in Deuteronomy, I love this bit, God explains why he asks them to live in this way. He says this, so that the Levites, who have no allotment, no inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns, may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. Now, please don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm saying incorrectly. This is not prosperity preaching. This is not a wealth creation plan. This is gospel generosity. God isn't calling his people to sit on vast riches. God isn't calling his people. Instead, he's calling them to be wise in giving so that they can be generous to those around them. So success in this area. What would success look like in this area for you and I? I don't know. Maybe it would look like the atrium making a loss every single day of the week because we're giving away so much food and so much tea and coffee 
and so many Bibles that we never make any money out of it. What would that look like? We are so generous that we literally don't make a profit in the atrium. Now, in our society today, I am not expecting anyone to turn up with livestock in our church. Please don't take that as a challenge. Please. For the sake of Paul and those who keep this place clean, please don't. However, I know that many of you graciously give month in, month out. And as a church, we seek to care for what you gift prayerfully. We are committed to asking for God's wisdom in how your finances that you gift to the church are cared for. And it's true, as a church, best we can, we serve those around us who are struggling. We've got a scheme in the atrium called generosity vouchers, where you can buy a voucher so that we can feed a meal to someone who turns up in need. By the conversations and prayers that some of you who serve in the atrium as volunteers have, where, whatever you do, wherever you are, day by day, what your workplace is, what your volunteering place is, what your serving place is, all of those are places to express generosity. Our passage today opens with an invitation to return to God. It speaks of curse, which is contrasted with a challenge. The challenge is to try out giving God and that challenge ends with a blessing. Now, blessing and curse, one is the inverse of the other in God's divine economy. Blessing is the result of generosity. And Abraham was blessed by God to bless a nation and through their nation, their descendants. And curse is the result of robbing God. In Deuteronomy, in chapters 28 and 30, you can read it later, Moses lays out all the options for God's people. They either choose to literally turn to God for his blessing or turn away from him and see what happens instead. What curse might follow their rejection of him? And the lifting of that curse is outlined in Deuteronomy. And sin, whether whatever form, whatever form of turning away from God entails, that lifting of that curse is seen in Jesus Christ. There's a verse in Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, and it says this. It kind of basically unpacks the end of the liberation of Christ coming. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming cursed for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. That's why we have the cross at the back of church, to remind us of the work that Jesus has done. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles and through Jesus Christ, so that the faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. I wonder, though, if there are many in our town of Reading or roundabout who feel like poverty is a curse that they live with day in, day out. With the cost of living impact so hard on our society, it wouldn't surprise me if some people felt cursed. And that's not the way God wants his world to look. 
Jesus has an eagle eye for even the smallest act of generosity. And in Luke 21, 1 to 6, and Mark 12, 41 to 44, we hear about a widower who puts two tiny little coins into the offering. And in each case, Jesus calls out her generosity. In both readings, straight after this, the disciples seem to miss the point of the wonder of these widows' two tiny coins because they come out and they immediately comment, oh, look at these amazing stones in the temple. Each of us who worships here at Greyfriars and New Hope and sees this place as our worshipping home, I think the call, the challenge of this passage for us today is to take care and pay attention to the Holy Spirit's call to be faithful and generous. We need not only step through those four glass doors at the back to risk being like those disciples who, having seen this tiny act of generosity that Jesus called out as amazing, we step out through those doors and we wonder at the glory of the atrium and the glory of the center rather than celebrate the small acts of generosity that happen in our midst day by day. So I wonder if you take a moment just to pause. Think of the wonderful acts of generosity that you've seen recently. What are they? What did they look like? Where were you witness to God's generosity in action? Let's just pause for a minute whilst we think about that. If we are to truly honour God with all that we are in our lives, we neglect the financial aspects of worshipping life at our own peril. It may be that we're like the widow and we can only give the tiniest amount, but God will see our small generosity and celebrate it as something profound. For my part, when I come before God in heaven, I'd love him to say, well done, good and faithful servant, rather than him showing me the ways in which I've been blessed by him and have selfishly held on to that blessing rather than shared it with open hands and open heart. I'd love him to look at me and for us to have a good old giggle over the test of this passage so that God and I could celebrate the testimony of seeing the floodgates of heaven opened and blessings flowing far and wide. So I thank you for being the impolite people who are prepared to see the love of Jesus and the challenge of this passage, being prepared to break those boundaries of talking about money and faith. And as each of us journeys with these words this week, I'd like to suggest if you are part of our church family and you haven't already, please do use this QR code that's going to appear on the screen and set up some regular giving. It's not, if you're giving regularly, thank you. 
Can I say that again? If you're giving regularly, thank you so much. Because we worship and we do mission in this town because of your generosity. And for those of you who already give, can I ask you to pray through the two verses that I've put on the screen here and just see where you and God get to. Let's pray that week in, week out, we might have testimonies to share with one another as a church of where we've seen God pouring his blessings upon our town. Um, I'm going to invite the band to play gently over us. It's a tough passage to unpack, and I would like the Holy Spirit to be the last voice that you speak with on this matter. Not my voice, God's voice speaking to you. And I'm going to bring us back out of silence with a prayer, because ultimately we're going to gather in a second around the communion table, that act of generosity, when God's love reminds us that any curse on our lives is broken by the power of Jesus' love. But let's just take a time of silence to pray with God over the ways he's calling us to be generous. I'm going to just say, speak a word of prayer and then leave us in some silence whilst the band play. Lord Jesus, help us to participate with you in seeing the floodgates of heaven's generosity poured out. Lord, we know that you have a pattern with your people of blessing one generation to bless another generation, to bless the whole world. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your generosity of blessing. So speak with us now by your Holy Spirit into our hearts. Amen.